0: Welcome to Not The Way I Planned. I'm Carly Cash, and if you've ever found yourself thinking, this is not the way I thought my life would turn out, you've come to the right place. Each week we'll have inspiring interviews, plus tips and tricks to living your best life, even if it's not the life you planned. With me today is Sasha Faust, and we first met for a fundraiser This is with the St. Jude Radiothon. And you have one of those stories that just, when you hear it, sticks with your heart forever. It's just really, it's something that I wish no one ever had to go through. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you, when you were little or as you started growing up, what were your hopes and dreams for your life? What did that look like for you?
1: Boy, I think, I think it's constantly changing, but honestly, I always wanted to be a doctor. Um, one of those careers that, you know, just would make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a little head accident when I was nine and was lighted back to Boise St. Al's. And I just remember, you know, going through that. And,
0: your lifesavers there and the impact they had they on your are. life. They
1: are. Yep. yep. Um, so. I wanted to do that. Um, I grew up an only child, so I didn't really have any brothers or sisters or little babies to be around. So, you know, envisioning that part of my life with having children in the future wasn't something that I saw until it did happen.
0: Mm -hmm. And how did it happen?
1: Um, So with Candace, which is my daughter, um, I was about 24 years old. And, um, it's actually funny, the other day I was thinking about when, um, I took that pregnancy test and found out I was (laughs) pregnant and just how excited I was. It's quite the moment, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and that was, that was the start of it. I found out I was pregnant and her dad and I, who, um, were pretty good friends at the time, um, Just. That started the new journey, and I was in North Dakota when I found out I was pregnant, and came back to Idaho and to Boise, and um, saw a wonderful midwife in Boise at St. Luke's, and she just guided us through through the journey until we did have Candace,
0: and everything was perfect with your pregnancy.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, labor is never fun for any woman. No, but. <laughs> no, it's not. But all
0: things considered, but all things, everything yeah. went well. Yeah and did you instantly fall in love with motherhood or was it oh yes yeah. i
1: i loved being pregnant um i was very fortunate i did not have the sickness or you know a lot of women can have a really bad mm-hmm. pregnancy you didn't have that so much no and i i fell in love with candace when when she was inside of me you know
0: yeah I,
1: but yeah nope it was a beautiful pregnancy had her and just I have this beautiful picture of her looking up at me right after the birth. And it's just one of those moments. Oh, yeah.
0: That's just magical. It is. That instant connection that you can't compare to anything else. Yeah. So everything's normal. She's born. And then when did you say, hmm, something's going on with my daughter?
1: So she was, she was about 18 months old and just, just healthy, going through all of her milestones fine, started walking about mm-hmm. at one years old. And um, I was actually babysitting a couple other children um, of my friends and they just started doing this. And I noticed Candace would walk and when I'd be, you know, doing attention with these other children, she'd cry out to me and I, I started questioning, well... I feel bad saying this but is this a behavioral thing? Um it was just kind of spouts of anger almost coming and out. And you don't
0: know your first time, mom? No,
1: no and um but then and this all happened really fast. So it was just within a couple of days I noticed she would walk and then she'd start falling on her bottom. And then she'd get back up and she'd walk and fall on her bottom. And then um I think it was just a couple nights later. She was getting really sick, and it happened right in the middle of the night. And I had taken her in. I called her mother, my mother-in-law, her grandma, and took her in to the local hospital, and they had ran some tests. And they even brought up brain cancer as being one of the things, but just with some of the symptoms that we were talking about with the falling down and the vomiting and... um, so the doctor said, we're going to look at this in a pyramid shape with, with cancer at the top. But we don't think it's that. So we're going to start our next steps down. And so they ran blood tests. They even took her in for some kind of an x-ray um, mm-hmm. and basically came back and said, well, we think she had the flu. Her legs are just weak from having the flu and, and puking. So just...
0: And you're kind of like, whew, okay, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's what I want it to be.
1: And that make that could make sense, you know, for, yeah. I mean, a lot of normal children, it's... It's kind of, you know, cancer's sure. extreme. So, And you, you know.
0: never think it's one of those things, again, that happens to other people. That's not going to happen to us. So yeah. your brain just doesn't want to go there, I think.
1: Yeah. Yep. So we had um, taken her home, and she actually kind of improved, it seemed like, um, for about a day. And then it went downhill real fast, and I had taken her to her um, my mother-in-law's again and she's sitting in a high chair and I'm, you know, she's eating lunch and I look over at her and her head's tilted to the side and it's just, you know, mother instincts. You're like, nope, that's not right. Something's wrong here. This, this isn't the flu, you know? Um, so I put her in the car. We, She was in her car seat in the back. I drove home and every corner I took, she'd cry out. Every tor- every corner. Oh, she was in that much pain. Yeah. And so, when I got home, I hopped on my phone and good old Google, and I googled brain cancer symptoms, and every single thing that she had lined right up with that. So I called. It it was, I believe, a Saturday. Um, I called the local hospital again, and her pediatric doctor said, Why "Don't you bring her into the local hospital here? We're in the local children's hospital." Mm-hmm. And. um, we're gonna do some tests and kind of just double check, and so took her in. We admitted her, went through the whole admission process, and um, they took her in for a CAT scan, and um, that was the start of many, many scans that you see your child being, especially eighteen months old, being held down really tight you know, so that she's not It's hard, not it's hard enough to
0: take your 18-month-old for a well check yeah. and get their shots. Yes. So going through something like that with your baby.
1: Yeah. So she went through, and um, it's kind of funny looking back now. I remember looking in the window of the CT techs in the back, and they all just had a blank face. <sighs> and at that moment, you know, Being a first-time mom, sometimes you just, you wonder if you're doing things right. Am I supporting my child right? Am I, you know, and so you don't know what they're thinking as everybody just has a blank face. But looking back now, I know what they, what they were seeing and, you
0: know. So were you thinking just a little bit, maybe why is she here? Why is this mom brought her in? There's nothing wrong. I mean, does your brain go through the denial, even though you've Googled it and -hmm. she's got all the symptoms? Yeah. I think that's just kind of. Yeah. Our instinct to protect ourselves like, oh, the, it is. this is wrong.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was after that we went back to the room and we were all just kind of hanging out and just waiting patiently. And it wasn't long before the doctor came in and just he had really good energy. You know, they try to keep the room positive,
0: positive as they can. As
1: they can. We had friends that were in there with us. And I remember him asking, are you guys good friends with with this family? And. Um, are you okay? They looked at us. Are you okay with them being in here? And we're like, yeah, I mean, yeah. And he, um, he said, well, we, on the CT, we found a large mass in her brain and we don't know what it is. It could be nothing. It could be benign. Um, so no non-cancerous, but we're not equipped here to deal with this. So we're going to have to lifelight you guys out tonight to Denver and um <laughs> you just kinda you don't know what to feel or what to think in that moment. You're just in shock. You're like, wait a second. Yeah. You're lifelighting us and you're telling me it could be nothing, but if you're gonna that lifelight sounds us, pretty it urgent. Sounds, yeah, sounds pretty serious. And um and life Flight's gonna be here in about about an hour <laughs> and only one of you can go in the lifelight with her. And oh, so you're just like, okay, so you just get this worst news and then you're going to split up everybody. And, you know, it's, I mean, it's what has to happen. I get it. But in that moment, you're just, I don't know.
0: You're isolated. You've, yeah. You're in this whirlwind of emotions. and Yeah. I, I can't even fathom.
1: So um, one of the good friends in the room, I, I, she ran me home real quick so I could gar- grab some stuff to take with us because we didn't know how long we were going to be gone or what. Yeah. Um, so ran home, got back in like 30 minutes, and then um, Life Flight was coming in not, not long before that. And I was always, I, I let Candace sleep with me a lot um, in the bed and, and just, I was, we were always really close together. Mm-hmm. And to be, she had to be strapped down in the, in the Life Flight and I couldn't hold her she was crying. She's in pain. She doesn't know what's going on. No. I don't know what's going on. And that was the longest plane ride of my life. Just And I felt so unbelievably helpless. I'm sure. And I remember the nurses in there um, trying to say, you know, it's it's probably nothing. Most of the time it is nothing. And
0: They want to keep you calm. Yeah. They want to, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So you get to Denver, and what happens from there? Because at yeah. this point, it has not been confirmed that it's cancer. You still have hope that yeah. maybe this is all going to be okay.
1: Yeah. So um, they take us in through the ER, and um, my her dad and his mom, did. they did get a f- flight out there. So when I got there, they were already there waiting for us, too.
0: So they've always been close. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yep. And so... We're in the ER, we're we're patiently waiting, but don't know what's going on. And it takes a while for their team to get together at Denver. We're at Denver Children's Hospital of Colorado. And um, so we end up getting admitted from the ER onto the Nero floor. This is a huge hospital. So um, we're on that floor and they take her down, do MRIs. And this is all over the course of a couple days, So they do an MRI. Nothing about cancer even comes into the picture just yet. Um, The most important thing that happened was whatever the mass was at the time had created um, blood and filling of pockets. Um, We have like two little slices in our brain where we have, you know, um, spinal fluid. And um, anyways, her the tumor was like pressing on where it drains down your spine. And so it was oh. filled up in her brain and it was putting a lot of pressure and causing her a lot of pain.
0: So... Is that part of the reason why she was having trouble walking too? Because it was putting pressure on her spine or...
1: So that's separate. So that okay. tumor, yeah, that tumor was actually on um, the lower part of her brain, which controls your balance. And because that tumor, the main the main solid mass of it was there. So that was causing her balance to to fall and she eventually I mean she got to the point where she couldn't walk so I was I was holding her and this all I'm telling you this is all like in within two weeks I mean this just came from the very beginning
0: she's starting to fall and act up to you're in a hospital in Colorado
1: yeah it is one of the most quickest cancers that there is and um, so you know a lot of them can come people don't know they have cancer for years this is just like
0: well, and I just spoke with a woman, her husband has cancer and just getting that diagnosis took months and yeah. months. Yeah. So. Yeah. Very quick. Yeah. So okay. they, place,
1: they place a shunt, which is a drain it dra- and it goes right in through your skull and um, down into your stomach. So that fluid is draining. Um, Dr. Green comes in. And he's talking to us about possible cancer, possibly not cancer, what tests they're going to do. We're going to do a biopsy. That's what it was. We're going to do a biopsy. And so um, she gets taken off for that, too. And then when when she's done with recovery from the biopsy, we get put onto the oncology floor. And so without being told it's cancer, but you're placed onto the oncology floor. You kind of like, start okay, piecing it together. Yeah. Um, I had called my dad, who I'm very, very close with. He's he's always been there for everything, regardless. He's your sure rock. And he dropped what he was doing that day, and he got to Denver. And um, he was there just in time when Dr. Green came into the room and said, we got the results back, and it is cancer.
0: How do they tell you that? They just say it that nonchalant.
1: Um, kind of. I mean, there's, there's, you know, he tell he, first he tells me she has a typical rhabdoid tumor and I'm like, it, you know,
0: well, that's a little like, bit of a okay. large,
1: you're like, well, what is that? Thing. And so they yeah. break it down. It's, it's, it's cancer. And so, um, you just kind of go blank in that room. And, um, I remember just turning right behind me and just my, my mother-in-law at the time, she just, she was, a, she was my rock. So. That's where I don't know. It kind of crazy.
0: I think um, anytime you get the diagnosis and not to compare, because this is you can't compare, but when they said the word autism with my son, it anytime you get that word that you kind of know in your gut, like they're probably gonna say this, but you still have that little glimmer of hope that it's gonna be okay. When that gets dropped on you, it's yeah. it is. It's just like you're in a tornado. This yeah. is not real life. What? How? Yeah. Everything that I didn't want to hear. You're telling me and confirming, and it's just yeah,
1: yeah.
0: super tough. Yeah. I'm
1: so,
0: sorry,
1: I didn't know that. Uh, oh, I, I didn't no. know.
0: You know, it, with ours, it's there are struggles for sure. But there's been so much hope with it and so many blessings that have come along the way. Good. So it's okay. Yeah. Um, so they say the word cancer. And then what do you do?
1: You're kind of left there to process it. You know, we he says, we got to come up with a plan on what we're going to do. And we're going to join as a team and then we'll come back and talk to you guys. So you're kind of left there to just, just process it. <gasps> I mean... They're a really good team out there. Yeah. But there's just,
0: I mean. They give you some time to just emotionally yeah, deal.
1: Yeah. Um, but it, things things kind of happened really fast after that. Um, with with um, Between the biopsy and then that shunt that they placed, mm-hmm. it caused her, the draining caused her brain to start, you know, I don't know. There was a lot going on in there. So she started having seizures. And I was laying in bed with her and I looked at her and her eyes were rolling back and <sighs> a bouncing in her head. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, is she having a seizure? So I hit the button, and the nurse comes in. And, um, and they
0: prepared you for that, that that could happen? No. Oh.
1: No. So that totally came out of left field and freaked me out. I've never seen anybody have a seizure no. before. Um, so anyways, our nurse comes in. She's looking at her, and she goes, yeah, I think so. So the team comes up. They do um, an EEG, so on her head, and they're testing And she's having little micro-seizures, one after the next after the next, which are scary because if they start getting closer and closer together longer, then that creates permanent brain damage. So she gets taken down into the ICU, and they're trying to find meds to get her seizures to stop. Mm -hmm. And they're not getting – it's not working. The doses aren't working. So they end up putting her in a medically-induced coma for about three days. That was hard. You look at your child who just got a biopsy done – and so she's got this massive scar. She's got a shunt place. You heard the word cancer. She's having seizures and now she's in a coma and she's just laying there lifeless. And you just like, you just have, it's just so scary. And you know?
0: a few weeks prior she was walking around yeah. typical toddler. Yeah. So. Okay. So at this point, had they said how severe her cancer was or did they just kind of say the word cancer and then start going through these motions?
1: Just cancer and start going through the motions.
0: Yeah. So are you researching uh-huh. are you trying to figure it out for yourself what does this look like what
1: yeah yeah um every single I think throughout her whole entire journey of it I wanted to know every single drug I want
0: mm-hmm.
1: I you can't just go off percentages, but I wanted to know what this cancer was, what her chances are, what what do I need to start doing now to start saving her? You know, that's your motherly instincts. Absolutely. You want to protect and save your children. Yeah. So, um, I, I, yeah. When I you mean, saw
0: some of those things, did it look bad? Was it? Um, what yeah. were you finding out?
1: Yeah, her... her So the ATRT is the kind of cancer that she has, and there's, for children who are under the age of three, their chances of survival are like 12%, and that is because their brains are so rapidly developing that it allows the cancer to rapidly develop, too. You know, cells Mm. multiply and divide so quickly. Right. So... But
0: you still had this 12%. I'm like a big preacher about hope and, and just find that hope because I think it carries us so far. So at that point you still had, Oh yeah. 12% we're going to fight this.
1: Yeah. You know, in those first few weeks were, I mean, we were in there for a solid three weeks just with, it seemed like bad news after bad news, after bad news, but it got better quickly too. Um, They started her on chemo immediately. I mean, as soon as the biopsy was done and they got the results and even though she was down there with her seizures, they started her on chemo and, um, but a a lot happened really quickly too. She was, they came in and they had told us so we're going to do three rounds of regular chemo and then we're going to do three rounds of high dose chemo. But that means she needs a bone marrow transplant. But since how it's not in her bone marrow, like say leukemia, Mm -hmm. we can use her own stem cells. So you so, didn't need a donor. So we didn't need a donor. So they give her injections in her thighs that causes you to create a whole bunch. And then they bring this huge machine in that looks like, looks like a washer machine, basically. And um, they had harvested her bone, her bone marrow um, cells. And then that gets frozen and put away until that part of her journey comes later.
0: How is she at this point going through all of this? Were you able to communicate to her what's going on, or what what, what was she going through?
1: At eighteen months, she um, she wasn't able. No, I mean they don't really talk at eighteen months. The best yeah. thing that I could really do was to hold her and just be there for her as much as I can. I taught. I mean, I would tell her. Even though she couldn't understand everything, but knowing that mom's holding her through, I mean, every single thing. Yeah, I, I slept in here. the hospital bed with her every single night. Um, it's funny, just to backtrack a little bit. Um, I was fortunate to nurse Candace, And about the time that she was falling on her bottom and getting upset, I was weaning her off of mm-hmm. nursing. And I thought maybe it was a behavioral thing, too, a little bit. Yeah, I didn't that would make sense. Yeah. And so... Once she started going through all that, I started nursing. We continued the nursing. That's great. And I continued nursing her throughout her treatment because it was about the best comfort that she could possibly, possibly Absolutely. get. Absolutely. So every injection, I mean, chemo makes you super, super sick. You see these patients who go through it and how thin and fragile they get. Um,
0: you see that in an adult. I can't do. even imagine an 18-month-old.
1: Yeah. So I nursed her. I just continued. And that yeah. was, that was support. That was m- me being able to be there for her the best way I possibly could. And, um, it's so
0: comforting to her. Just, yeah. uh, I nurse both my kids. I'm, I mean, it's fine. Whatever you want to do is fine, but yeah. there's just nothing like that bond mm-hmm. between a mom and her child. So that's yeah. beautiful. Um, okay. So they do the, the bone marrow, not, transplant per se but they the harvesting the harvesting of her bone marrow she's Sweet. doing chemo mm-hmm. and then how did things progress from there
1: so they got they she actually started getting better we got to we we needed to move like our lives were uprooted to denver so because they said getting,
0: you're not going anywhere you need to yeah. be at this hospital
1: yeah yeah and we're talking like every month and a half she was going starting a new round of of chemo so um, got an apartment, were able to go home after about three three to four weeks, somewhere in there. And um, we had, re- that, the community there is amazing. People came in. Um, they were like, here, let's help you get on your feet for an apartment. Because um, you
0: can't work. I mean, well, no. you're not even in the city that you're from. Yeah. So yep. how do you bring in an, un- an income? You can't.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we had people come in. They helped us get an apartment, get on our feet. We're bringing in it, bringing bringing in groceries and, I mean, just doing anything that they could possibly do. And so I remember around Christmas time, um, Candace, we were teaching her how to get her strength back for walking and to be able to see her. So I have videos of her. She was pretty, pretty wobbly, but she starts walking again and she's just so excited. Oh, I mean, I'm sure. You know, starts, yeah. And it was about that time she lost her hair too and she... You know, her hair started coming out, um, but but you, the hair starts coming out, but then she starts walking and smiling and so there's some laughing. positives there and too. So you're like, okay, you know, are, she's going to get through this. We're all going to get through this together.
0: About how much time had passed at this point?
1: Um, so she was. It was November 2nd that she was diagnosed. So I know a it's about Christmas time. It's about Christmas time. Right. Yeah, and it just it was kind of a continuous. Um, about every month and a half, you, there's so much to go in through chemo. Um, you know, they get, they get sick, their blood counts drop, you get, you get to go home, you have to come back because you run a fever, you go through the ER, you get re-admitted. I mean, this is just routine. I can't even tell you how many blood transplants or blood transfusions Candice has had, platelet transfusions. I mean, it's just... It becomes your your new norm. You get to go home for a couple of days, enjoy it, but you're back before you know, you know you're it. going back.
0: Yeah. And were you there with her by yourself, or did you have people come out?
1: We so my fan my dad came out quite a bit. Um, we had some good friends come out and visit, and then um, her grandma on her dad's side. So they out were just quite a bit. coming out as much as they could. Yep. Right. Yep. So we had a pretty good, pretty good unit. Um. When going through the regular chemo, you're allowed to have lots of family members um, visiting. But when you when you get into the high dose, and that started, I think about March, we had a little bit of a hiccup before she could start that. And I, um, I can tell you about that here in a sec. But family, you're only allowed every admission when going through high dose. You're allowed to have, like, three family members that you put on the list, and they're the only ones that are allowed to visit during that whole entire stay mm-hmm. because – People who go through bone marrow transplants can get so sick from just dust particles in the air.
0: You have to I mean, keep yeah, it no. completely sterile as yeah. much as you can.
1: There's no immune system. And only one parent was allowed to stay there at night. And so it, it was that, you. It was me. <laughs> Obviously. So,
0: yeah. I, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking, what do you do to entertain an 18-month-old that's in this kind of a situation?
1: You know what is crazy is we had the best time of our life being in that hospital. Really, and I think when you go through something like that, you really treasure every moment that you have. Yes, but we we ate popcorn every night. <laughs> we watched Frozen it once, at least once every day. And um, I mean, we I would bring in a treasure box full of or a big toy box full of toys, and we would just play with every single toy and enjoy every moment of it look out of the window, smile at the birds. They had mm. wagons on the floor. So I take her for a wagon ride around the floor. And the nurses are amazing. I mean, they make it. They're a good friend for me. They're a good energy, you know, comfort and support for Candace. Yes. And it just becomes your family. Yeah. That team there is amazing. I mean, those are those are a bunch of angels working there. It's so cool. I have some good friends that I've made, you know. Yeah. From that area.
0: And as as tragic as your story is, there is nothing like having life bring you to a place where you get to cherish moments like that. Yeah. That so many other people just you just take it for granted. I've taken it for granted. Yeah. You know, and there's something extraordinary about really being present. Mm-hmm. every single day with yeah. your child so at this point had they communicated to you i'm assuming they've communicated to you more of this is where things stand yeah her, t- her tumor is getting worse or better or what were they saying
1: so every every time she so every time she got chemo done then she'd go in for an mr or an mri before she started the next round to restage Mm -hmm. Um, and every time she'd go through that, she goes under anesthesia, and she's in there for a couple hours. I mean, they've got to really get the detail of it. But it was improving. I mean, every time it would come back smaller and smaller. And then when we got to the high dose, probably about the second round in, it just started maintaining, but it's very, very little and almost not even there. Her cancer had a solid tumor in the lower part of her brain, but it was also spread throughout her brain in different spots. So this is all... She can't have surgery for any of this. It was It's all, not like
0: removing one tumor. There's no. several.
1: And it was too deep in for them to go in and do surgery.
0: So your only chance is the chemotherapy working. Yeah.
1: Right? And radiation. And radiation. Comes okay. later. Okay. Yeah. So everything stayed. Yeah, it maintained. Um, we got all the way through to the very end. And so she's di- diagnosed November 2nd. And then this is about May when she's finishing with all of her chemo. And then starting the 1st of June, we do radiation. And that is five weeks long, five days a week. And so we would go every morning, and she'd have to go under anesthesia every single oh. day. And go, going through under anesthesia just once is scary enough.
0: Absolutely. Let yeah. alone every single day. Yeah. The fear of what could happen. Plus, just coming out of it, I'm assuming she was sick. And yeah.
1: Yeah. Felt awful. And trying, you know, she's... Gosh, she's two at this point. Yeah, she's a little over two. She was born April 25th, so she's a little over two now, and she's she's communicating with me. And, okay, um, yeah, so yeah. that piece is
0: developed during this yes. process.
1: Yep, yep. Um, so we're able to exchange some words, and she can tell me what she wants to eat when she comes out of anesthesia. I'd always, she was a taco lover, so I'd always <laughs> take her to go get tacos when we were done. Tacos and chocolate milk. mm mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that was that was an interesting part of it. You, um, her radiation really kind of tears up your skin a little bit. So mm. I mean, this it's just hard. It's not. It is not easy for a person for anybody to go through any of that, let alone your child go through it. But it's crazy. I almost feel like children are they're so strong. They're so strong, and even though they're going through all that, they can still look at a toy and just smile at it. Or...
0: It's incredible. I've heard that so many times before, yeah. too, and I believe it. it's yeah. crazy, but yeah. so true. Yeah. So she still is, for the most part, keeping her spirits up. And, yeah. and this is her, I mean, she's been going through this at this point yeah. for a good chunk of time, so this is kind of her new normal.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think you, that's, what, that's what they know. That's all they know. Yeah. You know, unfortunately they have
0: nothing. Yes. Very unfortunately, but yeah. they have not a lot to compare it to. It's yeah. just, you know, luckily you're there to yeah. keep her spirits up. And I think, you know, just that safety of having your parent yeah. there through any sort of a traumatic situation for a child. That's, that's what they need. Yeah. Um, so at this point, where do you go?
1: Yeah, so after treatment's done, um, you've been—you know—you've been in Denver this whole time, and treatment treatment comes to an end. She has her last final MRI, and Dr. Green goes over the results and says, "We don't see anything anymore on her MRI." Um, so <sighs> there, he goes, "There's a couple little spots, but we think that they're from the radiation, like scar tissue." So we're not concerned, and at this point, we're gonna—we we say she's in remission.
0: And you're like, Hallelujah!
1: no way, you know, you're just best news ever, best news. But you're, you know, still scared. I, um, I wanted to plan a trip for us to go back home to back to Boise. I wanted to come bring her back and see sure. family. And he's like, yeah, go, go. Um, so I planned three weeks. So it's funny because I was three weeks is what I had done um, or had set up for us. I remember calling my dad saying, you know, I just feel like three weeks is too long. I'm just too scared to be away from the hospital if something were to happen for three weeks, and he's like, "No, I think you'll be fine. Maybe talk with your doctor too." And so I did. I talked to Doctor Green, and I said, "I'm I'm feeling a little weird about the three weeks," and he goes, "He goes, I'm I really think you'll be fine. You call us if you have any issues." And I'm like, "Okay." So we left about a week after she had gotten the clear for to go, and we came back and. Got together with family. Went, you know, my my young out of high school job was Olive Garden, um, and I had created a a good family support system with them. Um, Tamara, she she's a general manager out there, and she's so you had your work family out here. Heart of gold, mm-hmm. yeah. And you have a lot of a lot of communities that come together to support you through that. And so we went there for dinner, and she treated our family to a beautiful dinner and. Um, we just we had a great time and then
0: And Candace is doing she's well. Doing she's doing
1: great. She's doing great. She's
0: happy, she's walking around playing.
1: She even got up of for seizure meds. I was able to get her cleared off the seizure meds, so we tapered her off. Um she's still struggling with nutrition. She did the whole time. So she has an N G tube and always had one going in through her nose down to her stomach and I have like this organic stuff that I was buying offline that's mm-hmm. you know, nothing but the best, the best, yeah. So constantly giving her that nutrition, um, but she's eating too at the same time. So she's doing great. Um, we're going for bicycle rides. We went on the Greenbelt. Went to Joe's Crab Shack. Had calam She ate calamari. You know what I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it wasn't. It wasn't long after that that it. It was two weeks in. That's where I'm, it's just crazy to me. Two weeks in, and she starts crying again and we're at my dad's house and I see her walking and she starts falling on her bottom again uh, and I'm like all of the
0: same things
1: I'm like this is it's happening again uh, and I tried to I called my dad and I tried to call uh, Dr. Green and Dr. Green was out on vacation I sent him an email of and I talked to the team and they're like we'll just take her into the local hospital there and do a scan and they can give us the results back and so I took her to St. Luke's and Meridian and they did a a CT scan and I explain the situation to them and they're like, well, we don't, we don't know what's normal and what's not normal on the scan. So we're going to send it back to the, to the hospital and let them kind of look it over. And so they, they call me and say, um, I think she'll be okay. If you guys just have a couple more days left, if you think you can hold out till you get back. And so we do, and we fly back and she's really, quiet on the airplane and she snuggles into me and just sleeps and, hmm. it, you know, a little over two years old, it's, they're have a lot more energy than that. Um, yeah,
0: you knew, she's not feeling good. Yeah.
1: So we got back, took her to the children's hospital again on the oncology floor and um, they're kind of just observing her and watching, watching her closely and say, you know, she seems like she's doing okay, but we can go ahead and do an MRI just to be safe. And I'm like, okay. And so that's scheduled in a couple days and I take her home and the next morning we wake up and here she is running around again. She's just running around fine, happy. We're playing hide and go seek behind the curtains. She's eating normal that day. And I'm thinking, Oh, she's actually doing really good. You know, she's doing great. And maybe this is just post radiation issues and maybe she's right. got permanent, a little permanent damage. I mean, she did just have a, trauma to her brain for the yeah, last she's been so through the long, ringer you know?
0: so that would make sense
1: so i called the hospital and um kind of talked with them and we decided no let's put the mri we're, we're okay then let's put the mri on hold and and so the next morning it's just like it's night and day every day and so the next morning we i wake up and she's on the floor crying i'm like oh. <sighs> so i took her back it's in. roller coaster like, no, we need to do it so we go in and and they do an mri and um, We're up in the doctor's office on on the floor, and she's finished. We're up there waiting for the results. Doctor Green comes in and says, "Well, we got the report, and everything looks normal. That everything's fine, and so you guys are okay." And I'm like relieved. I'm like, "Well, maybe I guess maybe this is just radiation." Then, yep. Um, And so Candace's dad goes to get the car, and I walk out of the office. I'm starting to walk on the ho- down the hall to head on out, and here comes Doctor Green. And he's like, he's like, Sasha, just, I'm, I'm sorry. He goes, if you come back in the room, I just got to talk to you a little bit. So it's like, okay. So I go back in the room and he says, I'm, I am so sorry. He goes, the radiologist just called back up and, um, and her cancer's back. And he goes, there's, there's quite a few tumors actually. And he goes,
0: so why was that MRI incorrect or what, what was going on there?
1: I don't know, um, and sometimes I th- so it ended up coming back like through her ventricles, through her brain. So I don't know if they were looking for more of like a, like if you ever look at an MRI, you can highlight different areas. And I don't yeah. know if they were kind of looking for more of a solid tumor. And then radiologists, I mean, they want to hurry and read something and then they call the doctor just so the doctor can hurry and tell the patient. But then they have to go through and finish writing their report out. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if he was just looking at a couple of views and said, oh, it's fine. And then was continuing looking, and then that's when he called.
0: Oh, but to get but, your hope up like that and yeah. then just sh- shatter it.
1: And so Dr. Green was like, it's it's down her spine. Oh. I mean, this is worse news than in the beginning. And um, he's like, I, there's nothing we can do tonight, so just, just go home. I'm going to call you in a little bit, and we're going to figure out a plan. And there is no other protocols for treatment for her kind of cancer nor can her body handle anymore. I'm telling you, she was so unbelievably fragile. Her body couldn't handle any more chemo. There's just no way. Yeah. And um, so we go home, and this it's like three in the afternoon, and I don't get a phone call till ten o'clock that night.
0: So and you have to sit with that. <laughs> so
1: you sit with that, waiting to hear. And Dr. Green did call, though. He said he would. And he's always been really good. He's he's a really good doctor. Um, he called and said, um. We're gonna have you guys come in tomorrow, and we're gonna go over a few things. And so, if you guys can be in he- be here at ten, we'll just we're gonna go over some stuff. And so, I don't I had no idea what we were walking into. I thought I thought we had a plan, um, and get there. And here he comes in, and here comes in the nurse practitioner, and they're like, "We're sorry. At this point, we're gonna to have to send to her home on hospice." Oh, are you? <laughs>
0: You go from the emotion of yeah. just just prior to that, you're in Boise playing with your toddler yeah. to stealing all hope from you.
1: Yeah. So, and honestly, I didn't even, I didn't even know what the words hospice were at that time. But it was sending me home with, we have nothing else left that we can do. Her name's on a list for try for there's trials. There there's constantly clinical trials. St. Jude does trials down in the bottom. I mean, they're trying to save kids every single day. Denver's Children's Hospital is trying to do it. So there's trials, but it has to go through the federal government, and so they have to watch it. And if trial one passes, then they can do trial two, and then trial three. And then but that's a long process that you don't is, have that kind of time, right? So her name comes up to the top of a list to be in one of those clinical trials. But she was fine, so her name got dropped down a few when she was cleared in remission. And because her name's not at the top of the list, she can't go through the clinical trials. And then I joined a Facebook page of a bunch of moms and families who had children with the same cancer. And there was a drug called Alcertib that had really promising effects. And it's not approved either. But when a child is sent home on hospice with nothing else left to have, then a doctor can request a special um, licensing for the child to take that. And Dr. Green tried. I told him about it. He tried. And whoever is in charge of approving that drug was on vacation. So I didn't get a word back for probably about a week until it got approved. Candace was sent home. I did not know. She was sent home with one week to live. They didn't tell One you that? week, they did not tell me that. Um, but they did tell me, it, it could, they go, we can't predict, it could be anywhere from a couple weeks to a few weeks, I'm not sure. So so two weeks to three weeks, but hospice, and I asked our nurse, I said, how long did they tell you guys that she was going to have? And they said about a week. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, Unfathomable. Just... So you go into this completely different oh. world inside of you, and you were like, I went and bought a juicer. I juiced carrots. because I juiced anything that had any kind of anti-cancer properties.
0: You're just grasping at anything.
1: Denver, yeah. Denver's legal for some stuff, and I grasped at what I could.
0: Absolutely.
1: You've got nothing to lose.
0: Yeah, you have nothing to lose, and as a mom, you will fight Tooth and nail yeah. for your kid. That's yeah. just what you do.
1: Yeah. So, um, I think you know, you hospice isn't. People don't just leave. The I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Um, it was. It was really sad and traumatizing. You know, when I said at the stoplight. Now I don't. Sometimes you relive some of those moments, and um, yeah. I'm thankful she's not going through that anymore, but, you know, that first week, she finally, when they sent us home on hospice, they, they taught me how to give her her meds, um, sub-Q, so underneath the fatty tissue, because it helps absorb better. So I'm learning how to dose my daughter with morphine and Dilaudid and fentanyl and how to keep her pain-free and um she finally gets a dose and she sleeps really well when we get home that day and it's the first day that she hadn't been in pain now for for a little bit since it came back and i remember laying with her in bed and she couldn't see me she just all of a sudden couldn't see me
0: she's vocalizing this
1: no she just can't see you could just tell She like I talking to her. I was nursing her. She couldn't find where to nurse. Somebody would walk into the room and she couldn't see him, and she's startled. I'm like, oh my God, my daughter's going blind. And that's really, really hard for me. She was so scared. And I really relived seeing her scared like that a lot. Um, but she went blind after about a week. And I I quit. I quit trying to, to save her at that point because... It was too far gone, and you don't want to stop somebody in a state like that and keep them there. You keep, want to. That make sense. Yeah. It was. It was already headed in one direction. I didn't want to stall it any longer for her. So, um, she, uh, <sighs> she just kind of deteriorated quickly from there, and it was. It was a really hard her. I won't get too much in the details, but Dora, her hospice nurse, had worked there for like 30 years, and she said that's one of the hardest hospice cases she's ever had, trying to get somebody comfortable, so <laughs> take that for what it is. It's yeah. really hard to watch a child go through that. Um, I even remember being on the phone with the NP from the hospital, and I said, can you, can you, guys, can you guys help her? Like, She's, she's, she's
0: going through she's a lot.
1: Like, gone and she's delusional and she's, she's hurting and it's, it's just, I don't know. So, um, anyways, you know, I got her footprints the the morning we had woke up and she, um, she, she kind of passed like three times, if that makes sense. Like she'd, um, she'd be gone and quit breathing, and then she'd, like, start breathing again, and I got her footprints on a little, um, canvas, and it's, it's kind of neat, I put paint on them, and I put her, put her foot on it, and then her foot just kind of happened to grasp the edge of the canvas, and it looks like, almost looks like a little soul, like, drifting away, and it's, it's beautiful that I got that, I have that on my wall, um, but, I held her in my arms, shook her last breath, and I felt her last heartbeat, and that was it. And then she was gone. Um, <laughs> When they're on hospice, it's not like they have to be gone all of a sudden to the corner, you know. So I, I had to hold her. I put a blanket <laughs> over her because I didn't want to see her in any other way than the yeah. than her yeah. lively body. So I held her for about three hours and then we all drove to the hospital and I carried her into the very bottom floor because we donated her brain tissue for childhood cancer research and that's the last time I ever held her
0: I can't imagine how hard it must have been to let go like uh, did you feel like you had to have felt through all of this just like I'm not strong enough for this I'm not why me? Because I, I hear your story and I think I, cu- I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it.
1: It's crazy. I mean, you guess you don't really have a choice, you know? Right,
0: right. You, you just... have
1: to and you have to be strong for your child. Um, you got to be strong for them. And every day I try to live the best person that I can be. and I, I try to be the best person within... Um, I guess I want to be with her again.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I'm not going to let her down. So.
0: You're definitely not. I think that you've done tremendous work in just keeping her spirit alive and her, telling her story and keeping yeah. that having meaning, you know? Yeah. It's amazing what, you know, she, so she was two and was she two and a half when she died.
1: Yeah. It was September 15th, which is right. And, um. It's right in the middle of childhood cancer month. So
0: it's amazing how a life that spans two and a half years can have that kind of an impact on people. Yeah. Like I said in the beginning, your story is something that just sticks, it it totally sticks with you forever. And I will still, like, I'll have difficult moments with my kids or whatever. And I will think of your story and think, why don't, don't complain? Stop complaining. Yeah. Because you have healthy kids here. And, I never take that for granted, in part because of your story. How do people handle it around you? What kind of, did Um, you have people saying like, you need to get over it? Or did you have just a lot of support? What what did that look like?
1: You know, um, I had, we had a lot of support, a lot, very, very fortunate for that. A very good support system. Um, and people were reaching out to me and telling me how much of a difference she had made in their lives. Too. Yeah. It's amazing how she inspired a lot of different people.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Had a lot of support. Community. Garden. I mean, people that... I remember there's there's a gal named Kaylee, and I went to high school with her. And we, we briefly visited but time to time just kind of almost acquaintances. We had a class together, but anyways, she, through Facebook, saw Kiana's story, and she put together this beautiful care package for mm-hmm. our family and sent it. I mean, it's just people just, they just, that happened on numerous occasions from all sorts of people, just constant support and those people are still support to this day. I That's mean, so
0: great. That's so great. I've seen on, well, two things come to my mind, you know, I've been in positions where I'm like, I don't know what to do. I've got this friend or whatever that's gone through this horrible thing and I don't know what to say or how can I help you feel so helpless on the outside? I guess just hearing you say that that, that, that does make a difference. So that's what people should do on the outside. Don't be afraid to send a message or send a care package or just do something, you know? Yeah. Yeah um i was thinking about uh, another mom i know that lost her daughter to brain cancer and one unfortunate thing that i've seen on social media is um she's kind of grieved that way putting things out sharing memories um sharing her sadness and a lot of people saying you need to move on you need to get over it you need to did you deal with any of that no
1: not really um you know, in my line of work, where I'm at, I do, I have a lot of. Um, I have a lot of people ask me, well, "Are you going to have another one?" I think maybe you should try to start having another one. And the As thing if was, if that's going to replace her, yeah, it doesn't. It's you know, and it's so much more in depth than that too. I mean, Candice, Candice had a. They do genetic testing on her cancer, and she had a predisposition. Um, and I don't have a history of it. Neither does her dad. So it could just be a spontaneous thing. But there's a lot more in depth than me just going off and having another child. Yeah, it's not going to replace her. And it's not just that easy. And you don't understand. Yeah. You know, people just... It just doesn't work like that. But um, I also get a lot of different religions too. Um, I've had people... Tell tell me that I need to make sure I'm following the right God if I want to be with <sighs> her again. I've had a lot of that wow. stuff happen. Wow. That's one of the hardest ones I deal with. Um <laughs> just to be honest. Yeah,
0: that's that's
1: kind of a ridiculous. That's a hard one for me.
0: Yeah. But people like to throw their opinions out there. They do. They certainly do, especially this day and age with yeah. like I said, social media and people just I'm going to let you know how I feel or what I think.
1: Yeah, social media. There was, it was about a week after she had passed. I was scrolling through Facebook and there was a news article that was, the title and and the article was about a father who had just, um, his daughter had just overcame cancer and the attention that came with it for her. It was one of those really bizarre things. um, And he had ended up ultimately, murdering his daughter and it was a it was it wasn't one of those daily mails it was a actual headline for um one of the news stations but anyways I commented on it and I'm like wow and you know a parent like that and I kind of gave my opinion and said you know I had just lost my daughter and anything I would do to have her sure
0: and,
1: and I remember some people commenting on it and saying. Oh my gosh! I'm so sorry that you lost your child. I don't understand how anybody how how anybody could go through that. I would just kill myself. Oh, and it's like that's how bad social media could be. What if yes. you know you're already in such a fragile state of losing your child, and, and you then someone feel, says something like that yeah, to you? Yeah, you feel like I shouldn't be here. My my child should be, and so you're already dealing with
0: that kind of survivor's guilt.
1: Yeah. And then somebody says something like that and people just don't realize what they say and how they could really tip somebody over yeah. the edge. You know? Yeah,
0: unfortunately, social media, it can be amazing. Like when you talked about finding that support group and yeah. finding people that can relate to you in a way that no one else can. Yeah, And it can be awful, Yeah, awful. So I'm happy to report that you're in a much better place these yes. days because... <laughs> Your husband, Dave, is in the room. Dave, come join us. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your love story.
1: Yeah. So after I lost Candace, um, I moved back to Boise, Idaho. And um, I I needed to get moving and doing something. I didn't want to go into that dark place. So I was scrolling and looking for a job. And I came across a seasonal helper for UPS. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I thought, okay, what the heck, let's do it. So um, I, I applied and went through all the steps and got hired for seasonal. And um, I remember the day I was supposed to go in, my very first day. It was, it was a little cold, and I was just thinking, what am I doing? Like, this is
0: I don't love this job. I don't want to do this, you know?
1: Yeah. <laughs> but something kind of kept pushing me. So so I went and right off of 10 Mile out there in Meridian and <laughs> went inside the gas station, grabbed something, came back out, and here comes Dave rolling up in his big brown truck. <laughs> <laughs> and I hop up into this truck, and this guy's just got these cute eyes and a smile. And um, we actually recognize each other at this moment. Oh, Um, surprisingly. And so I'm like, you look familiar. He's like, yeah, you do, too. And we pieced it together when I um, was younger working at Olive Garden. He was the delivery guy there. And I always remember him coming and delivering his stuff every day and thinking, this guy's cute. He's got good looking calves. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) yes. (laughs) So um, anyways, we, we pieced it together. And then we were in a truck five days a week for, gosh, what? Six to seven? Yeah, weeks? most of the day. Most of the day, yeah.
0: So we yeah. got to know each other real good. Yeah. It was during Snowmageddon. Oh that yes. Where we got all that yes, snow. So a few it was years long, back. Long,
2: cold, snowy days and you sit you sit in a truck with a helper and I I think we really we really got to know each other at a deeper level than just somebody helping me sure. get through the holiday season delivering boxes. I mean, you see how compassionate and caring she is by just talking to her Sasha's now. the type
0: of person I will never forget she walked up to the studio I'd never met her before and it's she just she's one of those people that lights up a room you're just like Aww. this girl just she's got something about her you know that's yeah. just cool well,
2: and I noticed her too at Olive Garden um, yeah I would just we'd just smile in passing I was just delivering and getting moving on you know UPS driver gotta keep moving and it was just Bizarre that she would show up that day on my truck to be my helper. Yeah. It was like we always talk about the universe trying to forcing us together. Uh huh. And it put us in a delivery truck five days a week <laughs> for eight plus hours a day. And we really, really connected and got to know each other. And I guess the rest is history.
0: Was it, I don't know, intimidating at all knowing her story? Or how do you.
2: It, How do it you be is, there for
0: someone that's been through is. that much?
2: I'll, I have two boys. Mm-hmm. They're 14 and 11. And I definitely, hearing her story, it's hard for me to process. As anybody who is a parent, I this, you can't even, you're not supposed to, to bury your own child. Never. Um, so the only thing I can do is just be here for her and listen to her. Because she goes, she'll have her days um, that she needs to talk and cry. I can't relate, obviously. N- yeah, not there's too no many way people in this world can relate to what she's been through, but I just try to be there and listen and try to comfort her in any way possible. Yeah. And that's I, that's all I I try to do.
0: Which is I'm, I'm sure is what she needs, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's awesome. What did you just love about Dave? How has he changed your life? Oh,
1: he he has a sense of humor like I have never met on anyone before. Yeah. And to lose your child and have somebody who can bring out a smile and a laugh in you, not just once, not just twice a day, but I mean, minute after minute. No, <laughs> he does, but, um, it's a sense of humor. Yeah. He, he brings out the best in me and makes me strive to be a better person too. And we just, we click on so many different levels. Um, our interests. I mean, everything, but
0: yeah. yeah. I think the coolest part is that he makes you smile so many times during the day. Yeah. Well, I think you are incredible. You're someone that will affect my life forever. Your story and Candace, that will always be in my heart. So I just hope you know that you make a big difference and that your little girl, she may have only been here for a short time, but she made a huge impact on a lot of people. And I know that she will continue to through you. So thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for joining this edition of not the way I planned. If you like what you heard, you can find more at not the way I com, as well as not the way I planned on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.